in this place. Uh, we all come from, from different backgrounds. We, we have different views on many things. But Lord, we are thankful for the objective truth of your word that provides for us insight into the reality of the world, what's going on and why. We are so grateful, God, for what you have revealed to us of yourself in Jesus Christ. We are celebrating today the victory over sin and death. Give us understanding of what that means. Lord, as we, as we talk about what it is you do to restore by knowing us and redeeming us and pursuing us and sending us, challenge us now, Lord. Uh, allow us to see that we, we, we've got to make a decision and we've got to continue to make decisions that, that are the next step in, in our growth and in, in our development as those you love. So, Lord, I ask now what we do not teach us, what we are not make us, and what we have not give us. We ask in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So every person in this room right now is living a story. You have a story. Your story is very important. Your life matters. No matter what you may feel about it today, what others may say about it, your life matters. And your life matters because it's a gift. It's a gift from God. And your story is taking place in a grand story. You need to know your place in that story. So important that you can appreciate what's really happening in our world today. The Bible explains what's going on. Uh, the Bible is not uh, a collection of sayings or moralisms or stories and say It's a single story. And all of our stories are wrapped up within this single story. The Bible is a single story with four parts. Begin with creation. The first two chapters of the Bible and, and the first book of the Bible explains creation, explains the beginning, explains where time and space and matter come from. It, right there in the very first verse, in the beginning, time, God created. That word created is a very important word. The Hebrew word is baruch. It means to be created out of nothing. He created the heavens, that is space and earth matter. Time, space, matter created by God out of nothing. We know scientifically and philosophically that everything that is has to have a beginning. Every effect has a cause. And there must be a central cause to all things. And we know that there must be one who is greater than us that has put all of this in motion. And that is God himself. And God has not hidden himself. He has revealed himself. And so what we see around us is a creation, but it's not the world that God created. See, when God made the world, he made everything in harmony. There was perfect peace. There was peace with God, peace within, and peace with the world. And, and, and this world that we're living in now, this is not the way it was supposed to be. And, and we all know that. You say, how, how can we know that? What do you mean? How do we all know that? Because every time we come across death or suffering or pain of any kind, there's something inside of our body that says, no, this is not the way it should be. And you're right. Your instinct is right. So the question becomes, what happened? Well, there was a fall. Our race, humanity, made in the image of God, revolted against God, and we committed treason against the high king of heaven. And when we did that, the consequences were huge. Death entered the world, along with sickness, all because of sin. And what we have to understand is that God would have been well within his rights to have abandoned us in that, but he didn't. 
Instead, God, beginning in chapter 3, if you go back and look at verse 15, God began making a promise that day that He would bring redemption through one who would be struck, but that He would ultimately strike down. And all of the Old Testament is a picture of the coming of the one who would bring salvation and rescue the human race. And now we, on, on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, we look back to the rescue. We look back to God taking on flesh to rescue a people for Himself. That same God who promised He would come, and while He was here, said that He would die, and on the third day raise, also said that one day He would return and restore all things, that He would bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And those who would believe and follow Him would be a part of that restoration. Right now, all of us are experiencing life, our story, in the midst of the rescue and the restoration. This rescue is crucial to understand. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions. What we're celebrating this weekend as Christians is the fact that we know that God has come to rescue us. And here at Living Hope, we describe that rescue using three simple circles. Uh, we understand that the world is broken. Please don't think that we, we come into this place just la-di-da and everything just happy, happy, happy. No. We grieve today for the death of Philip Mason, that police officer there in Hopkinsville. We grieve the suffering of many people. Some of you are suffering today. We've been praying for a, a little baby whose surgery went well, by the way, on Friday. Molly, we pray she'll be heading home tomorrow. But a, a baby less than one years of age, already with cancer, already facing uh, a surgery. We live in a broken world. The world is broken. You know, I don't have to convince you of that. What I have to convince you of is the fact that what caused it was sin. See, God created, God's design was harmony. I had a young man ask me last week, you know, if God is so good, why is the world so bad? It's not God's fault, it's ours. The problem with the world is not God, it's us. Because of our sin, there's now brokenness. And again, God would have been well within His rights to have walked away from us, but He didn't. He didn't. Instead, we have good news. And that's what the word gospel literally means. It literally means good news. And this entire year here at Living Hope, we're focusing on good news and, and what good news God has brought to our lives. But in order for this good news that God has come to take away our sin and to give us victory over death, we have to repent. And what that means is we got to turn away from our calling the shots. We have to turn away from sin and brokenness, and we must believe the gospel. Now, let me pause there. To believe the gospel is not merely to have a mental attestation. It's not just to say, oh, yeah, I know the facts. Because some of you are sitting here now and you're like, yeah, yeah, I know it's not about the Easter Bunny. I know it's not about that. I know Jesus died. He was raised. I, I get all that. I'm sure you get it, but so does Satan. So do all the demons of hell. They know the truth of the gospel. But they have not believed it, as the Bible talks about. The word the Bible uses, and the Greek word is epigenosko, it means an experiential knowledge. And until you have experienced the gospel, that is, known it in a way that changes your life, you're on your own. We all have to make a choice. We must choose whether we will continue to walk in our own way, in our own sin, in the brokenness of the world, or if we will receive this glorious gift given in Jesus Christ so that we can pursue and recover God's design. 
And if we'll do that, there is a restoration. God can bring restoration. And that's what we see in our text today. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Here we, we see good news. And this news uh, was powerful, especially to Peter. You know, on the day that Jesus was raised, some crazy stuff happened. There was earthquakes. The curtain that separated God from man, it was torn from top to bottom. There were, there were people that were other people. I don't know if you know this. You might go back and check me on, in Matthew on this. But it said that other people were raised and began to walk around the city. There was some crazy stuff happened the day that Jesus Christ was raised. But something very special happened in the life of Peter. Reminds me of something that happened to me. I think it will resonate with many of you because I think some of you have experienced this. And I'm praying that some of you who have not yet experienced this might. I'm going to focus on verses 6 and 7, but I want to read verses 2 through 7. If you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? I'm in Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 2 through 7. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The word of God. Thanks be to God. If you would go ahead and be seated. One of my favorite things about God is He restores what's broken. I grew up in uh, West Nashville in a little community called Bellevue. And in 2010, there was this huge uh, storm that created massive floods throughout the city. And my mom still lives there, and this was the community where I was raised. Um, and and the, most of the house, a lot of houses were underwater, including my mother's. And I remember going a, a couple of days after the waters had receded, and I saw such a mess. Where the water had come in, there was mud, it had damaged, it had destroyed, it was absolutely nasty. But then people who knew what they were doing came in, and they tore out the walls, and they restored it, and they cleaned the house. And it's amazing now, we go back there, and, 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 it, and it's like new, because, because there was a restoration. See, this is what God has done, come to do for us. Our lives have been made dirty by sin. They've been decimated and destroyed in so many ways, but God, in His grace, He can restore our lives so that we can pursue and recover God's design. This is the unique claiming capacity of Christianity. And He restores us by doing a few things. First, by knowing us. Secondly, by redeeming us. Then pursuing us and sending us. Let's first talk about the fact that God restores us by knowing us. Please understand, God knows you. He knows what it is to be human. Galatians 4 4 says this. You guys got that? Here we go. But when the fullness of time had come, now look at this in God's timing, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God became a human being. And his name was Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to look back at verse 6 with me. In verse 6 it says, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed, you seek. Jesus of Nazareth, of all the names that could have been used, why that one? 
good of you is the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Almighty. Why Jesus of Nazareth? He's making a very important point. That is that this human being had died. God became a human being, born of a woman, born under the law. And this human being who was God, he now understands our hurt. He understands what it is to have friends turn against you. He understands what it is to face hardship and pain. And he sympathizes with us. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in uh, verse 15, says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us sit with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of the one of the parts of the good news of God is because Jesus Christ came to be one of us. Not only does He understand what it is to be a human being, He gets the pain we endure. And so, as you're suffering, as you're struggling, here's what you can always do: you can always look to Christ because He knows what it is to be tempted by sin. He knows what it is to have friends turn against you. He knows what it is to have your your family turn their backs on you. He knows every pain that any human being could possibly ever experience. He knows what it is to suffer and die. He knows that fear. And so as we come to Him, we come to a God who cares about us, who loves us, who empathizes, but He is God. And as God, He knows everything about us. He knows everything that's going to happen to us. This is one of the great miracles of God. Psalm 139, verse 16 says this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written. Every one of them. Think about this now. Every one of your days, the days that were formed for for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before you ever lived a second, God knew every single day that you were going to live. He has a plan for that day. He knows exactly what you and I are going to experience, and He has a plan for us. That verse, verse 6, when it says, tell His disciples, and Peter, and Peter. Why did He, why did he highlight Peter? Because see, God knew Peter. God knew that Peter was going to blow it. Peter was running his mouth as he often did, talking about how he would never deny Christ, how he was better and stronger than everybody else. And look what Jesus said to him in Matthew 26. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster cries, you will deny me three times. God knew he'd blow it. Can I tell you something? God knew that every one of us would blow it. God, before the foundation of the world, chose to love us, even though He knew. He knew what we'd do. Listen, you can fool me, guys. Y'all look awesome, by the way. You look phenomenal. You look fantastic. And, and, and if you came up to me and said, I'm great, I would say, you look great, great. I believe it. Fool me is easy. I'm shallow. You might be able to fool your friends. You might be able to fool your family. It's tough, but you might. You might even be able to fool yourself. But you can't fool God. He knows who you are. He knows who you really are. He knows your secret. He knows all your secrets. He knows how troubled you are. And He knows the capacity in your own heart to be awful. And yet He loves you. 
before the foundation of the world, He loved you. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He wanted us before the foundation of the world, knowing us, knowing what we would be capable of, knowing what we would do. He loved us still. And He has come to redeem us. And that's how restoration happens. It's through the redemption. So notice, look back to verse 6, if you will. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, He is risen. That's very important. Crucified and risen. This is what makes Christianity unique from all other religions. Is that God did not say, earn your way to me. Come on. Get enough points and maybe you'll make it. That's what all world religions teach. That's how what Christianity teaches. Jesus Christ said, I know you can't get to God, so I'm going to come to you. So Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite verses, verse 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Look at this. From the law of sin and death. The law of sin says that if we in any way break God's law, we deserve justice. Justice. Understand what that means. God Almighty is eternal and holy. The slightest infraction is worthy of His eternal wrath. But His grace is so great. It is so great that where sin abounds, His grace abounds all the more. There is nothing that you could ever do that Christ has not paid for on the cross. And, and what He has done is He's entered into our world to pay the penalty for our sins. Remember this scripture, Hebrews 9.22. I quote it often when we receive the Lord's Supper. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God had to come live a holy life and then pay the penalty for our sin. You say, how does that work? I don't really know all the all the, the, the direct lines of it. I can just tell you what the Bible says. Second Corinthians chapter 5, one of my favorite scriptures, verse 21, says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Holy God took on flesh, and He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus was dying on the cross, He yelled, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Understand what was happening in that moment. He who knew no sin became sin. He took responsibility for our sin so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of our sin. I heard a great story yesterday. A young lady was in a downtown uh, city, a large city, and there was a huge storm. And as she was crossing the street, uh, the, the rain turned into hail. And there were a massive hell pellets that began to beat down on this beautiful young lady. And there was a bakery on the corner. A young man was sitting in the window, and he saw what was happening. And this young lady had fallen to the ground. He ran out, and he covered her with his own body. And, and the storm, it lasted for, for, for several minutes. And, and he was able to keep conscious. And, and together, they walked into this bakery. This, these two strangers, and she looked at this man who was bloody because the hell pellets had torn, torn into it and ripped its skin. And after kind of cleaning him up, she realized, man, he's not bad looking. <laughs> and, and if a guy will die for you, there's, there's, not, there's, there's not much that he wouldn't do for you. So they got married. Years later, 
she would talk about that day, and she would point to the scars, and she would say, that's the most beautiful part of them. She said, because, see, those scars remind me that he saved me from hell. And so it is for all who believe in Jesus Christ. By his wounds, we are healed. Go back today. I challenge you to read Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 5, and realize that that was written 700 years before Christ came. It is a perfect fulfillment of the prophecy of God in Jesus Christ. It's by His wounds we are healed. And now we who believe, we are like the bride of God, and we see His wounds and we know we are saved. But He did more than simply pay for the, the sins that we had committed. But he had also, he's also defeated death. Remember what it said in Romans 8, 2? Not only the law of sin, but also the law of death. Through his resurrection, he has defeated death. And one day, he is going to come again. Amen. And when he comes back, guess what we get to do? We get to go with him. I read this whenever I do a funeral. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Those of us who believe, we will always be with the Lord. So understand, to be restored, Christ had to know us. He had to redeem us. And it's not enough that, that we there would be this reality that maybe we could pursue. No, no, no. We needed God to pursue us, and that's what He has done. Look back in verse 7. I love, again, this beautiful picture of God pursuing us. It says, that Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified and raised, he is not here. See the place where he laid him. Then look in verse seven. But go, tell his disciples that I love this. And Peter, the guy who blew it, the guy who feels ashamed, the guy who feels like he doesn't belong, tell him, come, come to me. I want you to know, God is pursuing all of us in this room right now. Right now, our campus at Redeemer Church, they're celebrating. Year, they're one years old. It's the last week. Uh, they had this cool Easter egg hunt. They had almost 500 people come to their Easter egg hunt. And our fearless leader, Justin, yeah. But this guy shared the gospel in less than two minutes. And they, this week, they've had conversations with people who admitted that they had become followers of Jesus in that two minute presentation. And I want to show you what he did. If you've got your phone, and I hope that you don't, <laughs> take it out. And I know you've turned it off, and so it may take you a minute to turn it on. I get it. That's okay. But go ahead and get your phone. It's okay. We're not taking pictures. We'll talk to you afterward. It's not. It's safe. It's all right. Take out your phone. And uh, this is what Justin did. I thought it was really cool. He, he said, all right, take out your phone. He said, okay, turn on the, the camera app. All right, turn the camera app on. And then make it so that when you look at the, at the at your camera, you see your face, okay? And so he had him take a picture. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a picture of yourself or the Yahoo's you're with. And so I'm going to take a picture with me and all you guys here. And if any of y'all need proof that you were in church today, I got it. So just let me know. I'll follow up with you later. So take that picture, all right? So he took that picture. I don't take a picture. And then look what he did. He read, he read John 3.16. And here's the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life. He said, now look at that picture. That's who God came to the world for. 
God is pursuing you. He came to the world for you. If you were the only person who had ever lived on this planet and you sinned, he would, he would have come and died for just you. Yes, but he's died for the whole world. And, and, and he cares about you. I challenge you to do this. Take that picture, and if you have social media, post that picture with John 3.16 and said, Jesus died for Yahoo's like us. He's pursuing us. He's pursued us. He continues to pursue us. And the way He restores us is by pursuing us. It's not just that He knows us. It's just not that He redeems us. It's that He's pursuing us, and then He's sending us. It's not that we come to faith and say, oh, good, I'm glad that's over. No, 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 no. In order to be restored, you have to join God in what He's doing in the world. So look what, look what the messenger said. He said, get disciples and Peter, and look at verse 7. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. See, God wasn't done with Peter. There was more for him to do. And so I want to challenge you today to take some time and go, go back and read the last two chapters of the Gospel of John. Jesus called the disciples to Galilee because he needed to deal with, he needed to deal with Peter. Because there was a next step he needed to make in his faith. Some of you are here today. You need to take your next step. Here's what I want I want you to know. He will meet you there in that next step. Some of you are wondering where God is. Some of you are, are, are living right now and you're like, where is God? Okay, if God's so great, why is He here? Why is this happening? Friends, if you wander away from God, it shouldn't surprise you that you don't experience Him much. He will regularly call you back to Himself, pursuing you. But if you're not experiencing the blessing of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, probably has everything to do with the fact that you are not, you're not walking with Him. You're not taking your next step of faith. For some of you need to take the next step of faith. For some of you, that means you need to be baptized. For some of you, that means, means you need to become a member of the church. For some of you, it means you need to do what I did 30 years ago, which is to get on your knees and give your life to Jesus and say, you are the risen Christ. I will follow you. I will trust in you. You are my Lord. Some of you, you need to commit. What does that look like for you? I don't know. I don't know. What is your next step? Is your next step to forgive someone? Is your next step to go seek forgiveness? Is your next step to step out in faith and to do what God has called you to do and commanded you to do? Can I tell you, one of the reasons why it took me so long to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior is because I don't want to be a pastor. This is a true story. I, some of you heard this before, and it sounds crazy, but it's true. I can remember sitting at an Easter service 30 years ago trying to get a date with my now wife. And I believed what was being taught. But here's the deal. I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor. That was the last thing I wanted to do. And so God was glad to let me walk on my own and meet police officers and get a parole officer and all that fun stuff. But you know, he never stopped loving me. And the day I accepted Christ, I, was, I accepted his call on my life to do what he was going to and had commanded me to do. Let me ask you. Are you doing what God has commanded you to do? Or are you just doing what you want to do? As long as you're going to do what you just want to do, it's going to lead to sin and brokenness and pain. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Trust Christ. 
It may not look pretty. Listen, being a pastor, <laughs> it still doesn't look very attractive. Yeah, I love you too. <laughs> Even with my Batman cracky voice. <laughs> but I want to tell you, it's been such a wonderful ride. And I can't wait for what's next. What's next for you? You'll never know if you won't take the step of faith. And you need to talk to somebody about that. I get that. But the most important person you need to talk to this morning is Jesus. He's alive. And when you talk to Jesus, I, I find that it's very profitable to get on your knees and talk to him. So if you want to get on your knees where you are, that's fine. If you want to come to the front and talk to Jesus, that's fine. But you, so we, you need to get on your knees today. And you need to say, Lord, I know. You know me. You've redeemed me. You've pursued me. And now you're sending me. And I'm saying... Yes. I'm saying yes. Are you ready to say yes? Let's stand together. Let's stand. Lord, you've got something for us today. You've got, you've spoken, you've brought every person who's here. As we've been worshiping you since Thursday night, you've been at work in every service, calling people to yourself for a purpose that is bigger than what we could hope or imagine. And right now, we just have a few minutes to sing praise and to reflect once again on, on what this day is about and what it means. Lord, I know that there are some who need to come get on their knees. They need to talk to you about their life. They need to turn their life over to you. They need to admit that they've been going their own way, and they need you to give a course correction and to meet with them and to guide them into their next step. Some, Lord, are, are heavy-hearted over things that are going on in our world today, in marriages and friendships and, and, and family and, and those who are around them. Lord, I've been praying today all morning for a young man that has been at church the second time in church that you would touch his heart. Lord, I know that there are others that, that have been stirred today to pray. And so I ask that you would hear them. We're going to praise your name right now. There are also going to be those that are praying for you to do miracles. Hear us as we praise you and pray. Come and pray now.